serve and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. But when he heard this, he became very sorrowful, for he was very rich. And when Jesus saw that he became very sorrowful, he said, How hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And those who heard it said, Who then can be saved? But he said, The things which are impossible with men are possible with God. Impossible with men, but possible with God. When you are a rich person, it tends to be a little bit more difficult to be desperate because you have a lot of money and you can rely on your wealth to get you through life. So it's more difficult, although it's certainly not impossible, but it is more difficult for a rich man to hit rock bottom. And so it can be more difficult. So Jesus is talking to this man known as the rich young ruler who wants to be who wants to know how he can be saved. And that is the most important question that anyone can ask. How can I be saved? What must I do to inherit eternal life? And then Jesus gives him the law. The man asked Jesus how I can be saved, and instead of Jesus saying, believe in me and have faith and trust and a message on grace, Jesus says, you know, follow the law. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. It's a very interesting response from Jesus. He presents the law to this man. Why does he do that? Well, before you can be found, you have to realize that you're lost. And Jesus is trying to show this man that you are lost, that you have not followed the law perfectly, nor can you. And so he presents the law. But you have to recognize your condition before you can be saved. You have to see the condition that you're in. And so they said, who then can be saved? Who can be saved? And then that great verse there in 27, where he says it's impossible with man, but all things are possible with God. And so Jesus doesn't just say that. Now he's going to show us that even a rich man can, in fact, be saved. So Zacchaeus has two things that men crave. He has the two things that the world promises us will fulfill us and satisfy us. He has money and he has power. He has money, he's rich, and he has power. He's the chief tax collector. He has influence. And the world tells us that's what we need to be happy. He has chased after this his whole life. Year after year, day after day, he's worked his tail off in tax collecting. He's worked his way up the ladder, and he thinks, man, once I get there, I'll be satisfied. Once I become successful, once I have arrived, I will be fulfilled. He wants to be happy. 
Zacchaeus is like every other person who has ever existed. He wants to be happy. He wants to be satisfied. He wants to feel fulfilled. And everyone does. Nobody wants to be unhappy. Everyone wants to feel like they have purpose. And so Zacchaeus, he's chasing after it. Day after day. And he finally got it. He's arrived. He's rich. He's got the money. He's a chief tax collector. He's got that job. He's got the title and position. He has power and authority. He has influence over others. And he finally got it. And he thought that it was going to be the answer. But when he received it, he realized that it wasn't. It did not satisfy him like he thought it would. It did not give him fulfillment like he thought that it would. But Zacchaeus has heard of someone. Zacchaeus has heard about this man named Jesus. Maybe he heard about him raising Lazarus from the dead. Again, Jesus' fame was spreading throughout the region. And maybe Zacchaeus has heard about this man Jesus. And he's heard about the amazing things that he's done. He's raising people from the dead. And Zacchaeus is thinking, maybe, just maybe, this man can give me what I need. Maybe this man can fulfill my heart's desires. Because again, Zacchaeus was empty. He was empty and he was broken and he was desperate. And he was seeking something that he did not have. And then in verse 3 it says, And he sought to see who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd, for he was short stature. He was of short stature. So he wants to see, Zacchaeus wants to see Jesus. He knows that there is something missing in his life, that the money couldn't fulfill, that the power couldn't fulfill. He knows that there is something missing in his heart and in his soul. But circumstances aren't going his way either. And life has dealt him sort of a bad hand. He's short. He can't help that. But he's short. He's short and the crowd is large. And it's funny how quick people can be to make excuses. How quick we all can be at making excuses whenever things aren't going our way and throwing our hands up and saying, I'm sorry, Lord, but there's nothing I can do about it. Zacchaeus has some legitimate excuses. He's short. The crowd is large. And he can't get there to see Jesus. But here's the thing. Desperate people do not care. They will make a way. A desperate person will make a way. We see that with the woman who had the issue of blood. When she touched the hem of Jesus' garment, she fought through the crowds. She was going to make a way because she was desperate. We have a, a screening process at the lion's den. We get phone calls. 
all day, every day, from people inquiring about coming into our program, coming into our ministry. And so I've told the overseers, Scott and those before him, that whenever somebody calls and says they want to enter into the lion's den, it is your job as the overseer to try to talk them out of coming. You should almost try to talk them out of coming. Are you sure you want to come? It's eight months long. You can't leave property for two months. You can't use the phone for your first two months there. It's a very tough program. It's a very structured program. You can have anything you want except for your own way. That's never going to happen. You should almost try to talk them out of coming on the phone. And if you cannot talk them out of coming, they are a perfect fit for our program. If they will not take no for an answer, they are a great candidate for what we are doing there. Zacchaeus was not going to take no for an answer. He did not care what stood in his way. He's not going to make excuses for his circumstances or use his circumstances to keep him from getting what he needs. In verse 4 it says, So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. I want you to picture this this morning. I want you to picture this man Zacchaeus, who's a grown man. He's not a child. He's not 12 years old. He's a grown man. He's an adult. And can you imagine yourself as an adult running to see someone? Can you picture it? Can you imagine Air Force One lands here in Roscommon and the president steps off the plane and there are crowds of people around and you just take off in a dead sprint to go see this man? And not only take off in a dead sprint, but then climb up into a tree. A grown man climbing up into a tree. Now, you might want to do that to see uh, a politician or to see a celebrity, a musician. Like, you might want to run and see someone. You might be excited enough to do it, but you would never do it. And neither would I. We don't want to look that way in front of other people. We're not going to put ourselves in that type of position. It would be far too embarrassing for us to be running and climbing a tree to see someone. We care way too much about what other people think about us. And that tends to be the way that it is with a lot of things in life. We tend to care way too much about how other people perceive us. We have trouble doing lots of things. It could be praying at a restaurant and being concerned about other people in the restaurant seeing us bow our heads at the table and praying to the Lord to bless the food. The fear of man that people tend to have. But Zacchaeus did not care. He did not care. 
He was a wealthy man, and he's running in a dead sprint, and he's climbing up into a tree and out onto the branches. He's making himself vulnerable. He's making himself vulnerable. And he's not going to let his pride get in the way of what he feels like he needs to do. He always thought that he had no hope. After arriving in the place in life that he was at, he thought he had no hope. But then he heard about this man Jesus and that he was going to be coming through town. And when Jesus came to that place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. Jesus saw him. Aren't you glad this morning that Jesus saw you? That is a beautiful picture of God's grace, that Jesus saw him. In his place of desperation, in his place of almost humiliation, out on these branches, in his lowest of lows, when he was completely broken and without hope, Jesus saw him. What an amazing thing that is. What amazing grace that is, that Jesus saw him. And Jesus sees him, and he doesn't ask him, but he tells him. Like Jesus doesn't ask Zacchaeus for permission, but he says, Zacchaeus, I am coming over to your house. I am coming over to your house. And he invites himself over. Jesus invites himself over to Zacchaeus' house. And then in verse 6, this is very important. It says, so he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. Jesus saw him. And then Zacchaeus came down from the tree. If you're saved this morning, there was a moment in your life when you had to make a decision. And you came down from the tree and you received Jesus joyfully. All of us who are born again have that moment in our lives, and I'm sure you remember when that was. When you came down from the tree, and you received him with joy. There are people who come to church, and they don't know the Lord, but they're intrigued. They've heard about him. They've heard about what he can do. And when they come to church, by doing so, they've climbed up into the tree and they have positioned themselves to see Jesus. You are in no greater position to see Jesus than when you're at church. And so they come to church and they climb up into the tree. They position themselves just right. You are in perfect position to see the Lord Jesus Christ when you walk into this church. And so they, they show up, they climb the tree, Jesus comes by, and they remain in the tree, and they don't come down. 
and then Jesus passes right on by. I can relate to this. For many years of my life, I didn't come down from the tree. For whatever reason, I stayed in the tree. But then I came down. And you will never regret coming down from that tree. You will never regret receiving Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You will never regret receiving him joyfully like Zacchaeus did. But whenever I came down from that tree, it changed my life drastically. It changed me drastically. I went from someone who was a complete washed up, no good for nothing drug addict that all of my community had given up on, rightfully so. They should have. I gave them no reasons not to give up on me. Uh, maybe they had some hope at a certain point, and I would have let them down. That they would be hopeful again, I would have let them down. So coming down from that tree changed me from a drug addict that nobody thought could ever do anything in life to somebody who's now married, I have two children, and I have a really good life. All because of what he has done for me in my life. It's amazing. It is amazing grace that God gives us. And so Zacchaeus comes down from the tree and he receives him. He is obedient and he follows the command of Jesus when Jesus tells him to come down. But when they, and there's always a they around, there's always a they around. It seems like we all have they's in our lives. They, the people who want to complain and bring you down, no matter how good things are going and what God is doing, there's always a they, a they, a group of people or a person. But when they saw it, they all complained. How in the world could you complain about this? How in the world could you complain about somebody getting saved and somebody getting to know Jesus? People tend to hate grace. People tend to not like grace. We love grace when it's directed at us. I know I do. Amazing grace. I love it. I want more of it. I want God to give me more grace. But for those who have hurt me, I want you to get what you have coming. Everybody else should get what they have coming except for me. I don't want to get what I have coming, that's for sure. God, please withhold what I have coming. But for the person who wronged me, for those who I don't like, God, give them what they, what they get. Give them what they have coming. That's a hatred of God's grace. They say that we, we truly view grace, and you can know how you view grace by how you treat people that you don't necessarily like, how you view them, how you treat them and behave toward them, what you want for them. But the people complained. The Lord is doing something for you in your life, and there is always somebody there to rain on that parade. And it was no different for Zacchaeus having the greatest day of his life. 
and there are people complaining about it, upset about it. And then Zacchaeus stood in verse 8, and he said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor, and if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore it fourfold. What happened to Zacchaeus after he met Jesus? He changed. He actually changed. He was a different person. You can actually see the evidence of God's Spirit moving in his life because he actually felt remorseful about his past. He actually had a little bit of guilt about the things that he had been doing in his past. He acknowledged that he had wronged people. He admits to it. He confesses it. And guess what? He wants to do something about it. He wants to do <coughs> the best he can to fix it. And maybe not everything we've done is fixable. But at least Zacchaeus had that heart change to where he wanted to do something about it. He said, Lord, I'm going to restore it. And not only restore it, but I'm going to restore it fourfold. I'm going to go above and beyond. And then people are going to know that he's serious about this new changed life that he has. That it's not just talk with Zacchaeus, but it's action. And he's actually putting it into action. And he's making amends with folks. But he's changed. The Holy Spirit is at work in his life, and Zacchaeus is changing. And he's becoming a different person. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because the son, because he also is the son of Abraham. Salvation has come to this house because he also is a son of Abraham. So he saved him. He receives salvation and he begins to change. Now here's the very, very, something very important to point out. Zacchaeus was not saved because he began to fix things. He began to fix things because he was saved. You see, that's the proper order. We're not saved because we clean our lives up and we get everything in order, we go back and make amends, we restore fourfold, we give back to people that we've wronged, and now all of a sudden we're saved. No. But all of those things are a byproduct. Those are a result of us being saved. Most religions in the world, and even some quote-unquote Christian denominations, say that you are saved because of your works. Because of the things that you're doing, that is why you're saved. But true Christianity does not teach that. We are saved by grace, right? We are saved by faith through grace, or grace through faith. So we know that. We know that we are saved by faith. But with Genuine salvation, guess what? 
there will be works. There will be works that follow. In James, he says, faith without works is what? It's dead. It is a dead faith. Somebody told me once, and I think that it's, um, I think it's accurate, and I think it's a very good way to put it. But someone once told me that you cannot be saved by works, but you also can't be saved without them. Meaning that you can't be saved by your works. Your works don't get you saved. But if there are no works whatsoever, then most likely you're not saved. Because every good tree does bear good fruit. And so there might be different amounts of fruit, and maybe you're not bearing as much fruit as you could be, but yet there is still something there. But if there is nothing there, then we have to evaluate our standing with the Lord. But salvation comes to Zacchaeus. And then Jesus says that it has come to this house. And what a beautiful thing it is when salvation enters into a home because it changes the entire house. We see that with the lion's den. When somebody comes into the lion's den and receives Jesus joyfully and come down from the tree, and they go home. And what happens when they go home is that very powerful salvation enters back into that home. And then guess what happens to their children or to their spouse? is that they get saved as well oftentimes. They come to know Jesus. Salvation enters into the home and transforms the entire house. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. So he came for people like Zacchaeus. And he came for people like me and people like you. Zacchaeus was lost Regardless of how much he had in, um, in this world, his money and his position, he was lost and he knew it. But Jesus came to save people just like him. Zacchaeus knew that money wasn't going to do it. He had it. Didn't work. Knew that power and worldly success wasn't going to do it. He had it. Didn't work. But he heard of Jesus. And he thought, it might just do it. Jesus might be the answer to all of life's problems. And he believed it. And he wasn't going to take no for an answer. Didn't matter how short he was. Didn't matter how large the crowd was. So he positioned himself. And like the Bible says, Jesus saw him. He came down. He received him joyfully, and his life changed. His life changed drastically and for the better.